Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. How do plants respond to the world around them? They're not passive like you might think. Now, plants are amazing living creatures and they do all kinds of incredible things, including warning other plants about imminent danger and then taking defensive actions to protect themselves from said danger. They also undertake some pretty amazing tricks to help bend and find the exact place that light is coming from. This week we dive into the amazing responsiveness of plants. Creatures from across the animal kingdom work together when they sense danger. Sometimes inside the same species or family group, creatures will give off warning or alarm cries. But if you startle one creature, then actually it can cause all kinds of other creatures to also flee. The sudden movement of a crocodile at a savannah can cause all kinds of creatures grazing at the water pool edge to, well, also make a dash for it and get out of the way. And this is just good logic because those creatures don't want to get gobbled up by that croc. And so they take evasive maneuvers. And this is a thing we see time and time again. Prey species, before getting predated or chomped on, give off some kind of warning cry, alarm sound, or other kind of indication before fleeing. That way it helps the larger members of the herd or the species around them to avoid damage. And they also rely on detecting these signals from other creatures so that they too can stay out of danger. Now, this is all well and good for animals, but you have to remember that even the most gentlest of creatures still has to eat. Now, they may not be eating another living creature that is running around on all legs, but they're probably eating something living still, like a plant. And it has been well proven in a number of different studies that plants actually give off all kinds of signals to other species of plant that, well, they're getting eaten, much in the same way that animals do. And a further study from research at the Tokyo University of Science, published in the journal Plant Physiology, dives deep into this topic. Now, lead author in this paper was Haruki Onosato, the largest of collaborators from not just Tokyo University, but a number of other research institutions across Japan as well. Now, we're not talking about plants giving off a warning sound to other creatures or plants around them that they're getting eaten, but under a vicious herbivore grazing attack, prior studies have shown that when plants are grown near mint plants, say like something like a soybean or a field mustard like Brassicarapa, well, these plants display heightened defensive properties, mechanisms, when pests, herbivores, come and start chomping on their mint leaves. And this is because they're actually eavesdropping, for want of a better word, listening in on the mint volatile chemicals that are released when the mint plant gets eaten. If a mint leaf gets damaged in a way by something eating it, consuming it. It gives off a lot of scent. That scent actually has chemical compounds in it. And the plants in the immediate vicinity around this start to activate their anti-herbivore defense systems in response to these chemical signals from that damaged mint leaf. So that mint leaf smell smells great to us because we like to eat mint. But for the other plants, this is a warning sign that something is being eaten. Like that sudden movement at the savannah, this can trigger the plants around them to undertake a type of defensive response. Now, that's what's been understood from prior studies. So this team at Tokyo University of Science tried to see if they could replicate this behavior in a model plant, Arabidopsis stalina. Now, this plant is often used in lots of biological studies because it's a good research-based model type specimen. 
Now, what they did was take the plants and expose them to a different type of beta osamine, a volatile organic compound often released by plants in response to something chomping on them, a herbivore eating them. Now, when they had this herbivore grazing on it, they, they normally plants would release this chemical, this beta osamine. And so by releasing this volatile organic Organic compound and exposing the plants to it, not without having the plants begin, obviously just in a controlled way, they could see how the model plant would respond to this simulated herbivore attack nearby. And the researchers tried then to determine the exact mechanism of the volatile chemical actually activating the plant of interest. So how would the plant actually interpret, listen in, and react to the response? And the response was pretty interesting because they were actually seeing defensive traits were induced in the Arudopsis leaves, and this was done through epigenetic mechanisms, which basically means the way genes are regulated because of external environmental influences. And the influence in this case is, of course, the volatile chemicals being released, the beta osamine. And as a response, the, the leaves activate their defenses, which is to have some enhanced histone acetylation and actually beef up their defense gene regulators. This means some specific enzymes were induced and actually what these enzymes do is they lead to the production of more and maintenance of course of more and more anti-herbivore properties in the leaves themselves for want of a better word throwing up the castle gates and walls and making sure your defenses are in tip-top shape and readily stocked ready to fight off or repel an invader now obviously the plant's not going to bite back but it can do things to make them less attractive to be eaten change the taste, change the texture, make it generally just discouraging creatures from chewing it. Or perhaps even in the case of pests and insects to discourage or prevent them from actually chomping down. And this ongoing arms race between things like plants and insects that like to eat them. And so what's really interesting in this particular paper is how this epigenetic response and the creation of particular enzymes is actually triggered by the actual volatile organic compound that is released from the damaging of other plant cells. This is in a way the example of how the plant is listening to the sounds of danger and undertaking an actual a reactive response, literally producing different types of enzymes or regulating genes differently to produce different types of enzymes to give it the defenses if it needs to discourage attack. A plant is not an active combatant, but it certainly has tools it can use to help keep itself safe. And that's exactly what it does in this case. Now, okay, this is amazing to think about and understand the way that plants defend themselves, but this has great implications for crop scientists as well. Because if you can find ways for plants to better fight back and beef up the production, not just all the time, but only when they need it, i.e. when something around them is being eaten, then you get a better response than just having something that's a gene that is developed all the and used all the time because like with pesticides if you have that response active all the time well then the defenders get used to having that defense around them and the attackers well they know how to work around that they develop a resistance to it and come up with counter plans and in an arms race having reactive defenses is more important than just having defenses in general because it means that you have less developmental rapid progress in the countermeasures being developed in the by the insects in this case and we see that all the time where we develop new herbicides and pesticides to get rid of creatures that are chowing down on leaves and well what they do is they develop resistance to the particular chemical or pesticide that we're using and we have to develop another one is an ongoing arms race that we are jumping in on and if plants can be more reactive and timely in how they use these defenses well that's just way more efficient so this is some fascinating research about how plants, like small creatures around the world, actually react 
to what's happened to the plants around them and undertake defensive actions. Now, this paper was published in the journal Plant Physiology, research from Tokyo University of Science. Lead author of the paper was Haruhi Onosato. Now, a common thing that animals and plants also do is eat. Now, a plant, of course, uses photosynthesis, so its food source is really based around light. But unlike a creature which might have eyes on the side or the front of its head to find its food to eat, well, what does a plant do? How does it identify where light is coming from, its food source, to better get at that food? You would have seen and possibly done the experiments yourself where you put a plant and watch it bend its way towards the light to better maximize its ability to photosynthesize or another way to better move towards the food source that it needs to survive but how are plants able to sense light because they don't have eyes full of photoreceptors and if they don't have eyes to capture all those visual stimulus and convey that back to a nervous system to control where to go how do plants actually have some kind of light sensing well a paper from researchers from Van Andel Institute and Washington State University have been investigating this exact topic and published in the journal Nature. Lead author on this paper was Hua Li and Seth Berge. What they were investigating in this case were the type of receptors that plants actually use to detect light and what kind of light because that has a great impact on how they're able to regulate their life cycles and adjust to the environment around them. And what they did was actually determine the molecular structure of one of these vital photoreceptors used in the leaves of the plants to help sense light. And, and how this actually works with different wavelengths specifically of light. Now, it's based around a photoreceptor with a protein known as 5B. These photoreceptors, like 5B, help plants sense and respond to the world around them. And this is what they do effectively for things like avoiding the shade, heading towards the light, knowing when to germinate seeds and when to kick off flowering time, all other kinds of things, even down to the development of chloroplasts, which convert that light into usable. So by studying in detail the way that these protein works, how 5B works, the researchers actually understood how it could do not just one application, but the wide range of things that the plants needed to do. Now, the shape of 5B is actually very important because while you know the shape of something, when it comes to analyzing and handling light, it actually helps you understand not only what type of wavelengths of light respond best to this, but also how it actually is able to communicate the changes in by driving changes in gene expression. So that means to get a good idea of the shape, you have to go beyond sort of partial samples that have been done before and take almost an atomic molecular picture of this. And that's okay where they turn back to this Adibosis dalino, the small model plant that we talked about before. It's a great model plant and it's flowering and it reduces quickly, which is making an ideal model plant, just like in the prior paper we talked about. But you also need a high powered RO electron microscope, cryo-EM, that could snap millions and billions of particle pictures of the actual molecule 5B connected to all its natural chromophore, a molecule that absorbs different kinds of light. So they took a lot of photos, way too many if you ask me, around 155,000. And with this, you actually got enough detail that you can create a full 3D visualization of the structure of this protein at almost near atomic level. 3.3 angstroms in length. 
Now, that's amazingly detailed, incredibly overkill level of detail. But when you get a snapshot like that, you see really intricate things that can get overlooked in a much coarser study. They found that it wasn't just a set of parallel surfaces like people thought before, but it was a complicated 3D structure with both parallel and anti-parallel sections, which means that the 5B is able to amplify even just small changing in the attached chromophore molecules. And it can then also drastically change shape in response to it, which is how it actually signals the availability of light in the plant. Now, this takes a lot of work to actually capture all of these pictures and even more to actually understand what on earth you're looking at. So this study didn't just come out of nowhere. It's a combination of decades of research of researchers like Professor Harley and others diving into the details of this particular protein. But it's amazing to think about how we can take such detailed imagery of something as basic as a protein, in this case with chromophores attached to it, and how something that is widespread across all types of plants actually works in a really complex three-dimensional way. And this three-dimensional nature is what enables it to do its amazing job of telling the plant when and where the light is. And that's a really great thing to better understand because it means, again, we can understand how plants regulate and understand the world around them. We understand that better. We understand how to make different types of species of plants that can adapt more rapidly to conditions around them. That's great news for people growing different species of plants, but also for farming as general. But it shows the power of doing detailed image-based analysis, when, especially when it comes to structural things like proteins. It's very easy to think about all those chemical equations that you read in a book as things that exist on a piece of paper with 2D thinking, and you view it under a microscope, you can also even get that impression. But that's not really how they exist. There's a third dimension there, a fourth if you include changes over time based on conditions, like in this case, changing the shape of the protein itself based on the light conditions around them and as detected by the chromophores. So the world is much more complicated and it is much easier to actually see what's really happening structurally. And in chemistry, this is one of the most amazing things that can happen. So you get these intricate shape changes, particularly in proteins as an example, that can yield lots of different outcomes. In this case, changing the amount of light information that is sent to the leaves of the plant. So by better understanding and taking detailed pictures like this, even if it may seem like overkill, gives us a really great understanding of some fundamental mechanisms at work. That's what this paper outlines. This is published in the journal Nature by Professor Wiley, Seth Berge, and Zachary Gannon. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. The amazing way that plants respond to the world around them, give warning signs to fellow plants around them, and also use intricate chemistry to help adapt and survive. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.